Worship songwriter Brian Dorkson's son, Isaiah, suffers from fragile X syndrome. It is a genetic condition which results in physical, intellectual, emotional, and behavioral limitations. In his book, Make Love, Make War, Brian reflects on the day he and his wife first received medical confirmation of Isaiah's condition. And in the midst of this heartache, as Brian considered turning away from worship ministry together, God taught him a lesson that instead really emboldened him toward ministry. I quote, after receiving the test results, I stumbled around our property, weeping, confused, heartbroken. At one point, I lifted my voice to heaven and handed in my resignation. God, I am through being a worship leader and songwriter. When I was able to be quiet enough to hear, I sensed God holding out his hand and inviting me, will you trust me? Will you go even with your broken heart? For who will relate to my people who are heartbroken, if not those like you who are acquainted with disappointment? Reflecting further on the word from God, Brian writes, I used to think God, uh, used to think people were most blessed by our great victories, but now I know differently. People are just longing to hear others speak of how they have walked through the deepest valleys. The world lifts up the victorious, the successful, but God lifts up the brokenhearted. Now, the Bible speaks of this, of a broken spirit, a contrite and broken heart. I think it goes along with being filled with the Spirit. You know, a lot of congregations talk about that, what it means. It's got to be this sign or that sign. I don't think you're filled with the Spirit without a contrite, broken heart. Such an attitude and enduring behavior only takes place when our will is submitted to the Father and he he produces this brokenness. And I described it last week as our our submission to his will. And I look at times in my own life when God has done that through struggles, issues that I've had to deal with, um, failures, and it just brings you to your knees. It's brokenness. Uh, so submitting our wills to him in all areas, parenting, marriage, jobs, church, relationships, money. And our first point from last week was serving demonstrates a will that has been broken. It's kind of, of, of good service. The Bible uses... The word volunteer, we talked about this last week, once. It uses serve, serving over a thousand times. So we're called to be servants. And we're the ones that have our will broken to the Father for his pleasure, his mission. Of course, a common human sentiment is that, you know, my will determines my future, that I'm the captain of my soul, right, that I'm going to direct my steps. That's the spirit of the age, the the human spirit, freedom. I control it. 
Humans determine their destiny. Humans determine their identity. Anything we want or we need, we get it through the exertion of our will. That's the idea. The Bible has a different message. And in, the, in this array of people just clamoring for the, their own independence and freedom and whatever, the Lord gives us this wisdom from above. And it says this, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are the Lord's. There's a story that's been told from Civil War days before America's slaves were freed about a northerner who went to a slave auction, purchased a young slave girl, and as they walked away from the auction, the man turned to the girl and told her, you're free. And with amazement, she responded, you mean I'm free to do whatever I want? Yes. And to say whatever I want? Say anything. And to be whatever I want to be? Yep. And even go wherever I want to go? Yeah, he answered with a smile. You're, you're free to go wherever you'd like. She looked at him intently and replied, then I want to go with you. You know, Christians have to realize that the one who bought them, that's what the you know, word redeem means, by Christ's work on the cross and freed them is the one worthy to follow. And we follow him simply by yielding our will daily to him in whatever he wants, moment by moment. The objective of this series is not to get you to talk about serving. It's not to get us to even agree about serving, but ultimately to actually serve. <laughs> it's movement. It's obedience. And I realize that talk about serving in some circles can be a, a pretty hard sell. You know, we've all experienced from probably faith communities manipulation, guilt, obligation, but I'm here to say that's not the kind of serving that's depicted in the Bible. The fact is I could read you all 1,000 or more verses about serving. I could give you personal examples. I could try to beat you over the head about your responsibility. But obedience is a matter of the heart. And so I, I want to build on two premises today that I think are critical to our understanding today. First point is this. If you're writing anything down, you want to do this. Contentment is the context of enduring fruitful service. Contentment is the 
context of enduring fruitful service. We're going to expand on that today. And then secondly, daily worship of Christ and identity in Christ leads to contentment. Okay? Contentment is not when I finally get the house, when I get the car I need, when I make this amount of money, when I get that trophy spouse. That's not contentment. I think the kind of contentment I'm talking about is only delivered by Christ. Um, It's the idea that our heart is, is at rest. It's not motivated by trying to gain God's acceptance or trying to gain others' acceptance. There's not a person in this room who's not tried to gain God's acceptance or others' acceptance. It's just part of being human. And when I try to gain God's acceptance by doing stuff, I'm operating out of a performance-based acceptance, and I resemble what most of religion is today. But that's not the relationship that God offers through the words of Scripture. When serving is man-centered, we often rely on others, you know, to motivate us. And what that means within Christendom, that means to guilt us. To be the carnival barker, you know, to keep the wheels turning. And sometimes we just need to stop, look in the mirror and say, how are we really conducting business here? Are we doing this in a way that truly is inviting people to enter into something joyful? Or is this merely obligation of I'm trying to coerce or guilt people into this. Hmm. Think about parenting, okay? When you have a parent who is constantly critical and you're uncertain of their love, it's common to always expect negative feedback. You're not sure of the love and it leaves this nagging feeling that you can never do enough. I don't need a raise of hands. And by the way, that's not always the fault of the parent. Okay, so it's not to heap shame. But it, you know, we're responsible for our own thinking, son and daughter. And so we can sometimes make our own mess in this. And we're responsible for our own thoughts. But when we have this kind of acceptance that has to be done by performance, it messes with our head and it messes with our heart. And it really messes with our Christian life. You know, my father was a product of the World War II generation. Good man, moral man, hardworking, but a lot of silence. Um, It didn't make him a bad person. I have great respect for my father. There were times um, that I think that he really did make an effort to express love, two times stick out to me. One was my college graduation. The other was when I got married. You know, he seemed to be rather expressive. Outside of that, didn't hear much. And as I remember it, in my childhood, I had this nagging feeling that I was always going to let him down. Again, I'm responsible for that, but that's just what it was. And I don't blame him for this. I'm just describing reality as I recall it. He was my little league coach from 10 to 12 years old. And he once said that I was going to hit 
a home run over the fence. So I love baseball, love my dad, wanted to please my dad, and I never hit a home run over the fence. Now, I think he made the comment trying to encourage me, challenge me. I don't think he meant it as a burden. But I didn't know how to frame that as a young kid. And I felt like I never pleased him. Felt I never lived up to his expectation. And when you live with such feelings, your responses become loaded with expectations. And then you're let down. Again, that's not on him. That's on me. But think of this. Think of your heavenly father. The idea of serving God. Many Christians think the same way I did as a boy. I can never do enough. God is disappointed in me. Serving is not joyful, it's obligatory. And our internal motivations seem to have their wires crossed. I just can never seem to to get it right. You know, Jesus, who of course is our perfect example, was tempted by Satan. And by the way, when he was tempted, I think he went to the nth degree. We do not know as much temptation as Jesus did because he never sinned. So, you know, with us, you know, if if on the scale it's one to 10, Satan only has to go to a two and, you know, we give in. With Jesus, it never happened, so he went to a 10. So he got both barrels, right? And this is how Jesus replied. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus did not have any confusion as to who he was serving or what his motivation was. It's why he could stand up to this fiercest kind of temptation. And many Christians can't even stand up to one critical comment or some inconvenience. (laughs) Here is Jesus at his human limit. After 40 days of fasting, tired, weakened, hungry. I don't think Jesus ever got the hangries, did he? But if he did, it had to be then. He was at his human limit. And Satan presents the whole world to him. You can have these kingdoms. Just don't serve your father. You can have all this. It's about easy street, man. Don't serve your father. See, I think our invitation is to serve the Father wholeheartedly. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Clearly, there's a relationship 
between worship and serving. One needs the other. To diminish one is to create some disproportionate emphasis. Only, you know, if you worship only without serving, you get spiritually fat. You don't have your muscles exercised. You fail to interact with people to understand the needs. You're out of touch. Often, you know, bloviating about all kinds of things. You don't get it. And when you serve without worship, you can fall into this performance-based acceptance. You become self-righteous. Service becomes man-centered. A sniping comment, a lack of appreciation can easily derail a person in that kind of state. But we need both. Worship and service. Worship is the fuel that fills us with contentment. And when I say worship, you know, I mean a, a daily practice of enjoying the presence of God and his work. Okay? You know, it doesn't mean that you have to have a podium before you or There's got to be a worship band there. No. Just daily enjoying the presence of God. Because see, when I worship him, I learn that he's a a sovereign God, works on my behalf. I remember the words of Scripture that Jesus said, it is finished. I I can rest in my redemption. I'm no longer struggling to be accepted. Jesus has done that. But when I'm not resting and I'm discontent, wires get crossed. Remember when Martha and Mary, being sisters, were with Jesus in Luke 10? Turn to it in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It says this, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Martha has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You know, we often get the impression that Mary sat on her duff the whole day while Martha did all the work. And many of us can sympathize with Martha. You might say to yourself, you know, I'd probably be getting on Mary's case. Like, come on, go finish the work. It's got to be done here, right? The point is, though, I think what Jesus is making, it's not about omitting service, but avoid distracted service 
and to serve with contentment. Martha didn't have that. I think Mary, she listens to Jesus, obviously, but I think she did some work because it says that Mary left her to serve alone. It implies that she was doing some work. She helped with the house. She did her part in the kitchen. She swept the porch, kneaded the bread, stoked the fire. But when the guests arrived, Mary stopped, attended to the people. The sink could wait to be cleaned. Right now, there were guests. There was not just anyone. Uh, knock, knock, who's at the door? Uh, the son of God. So she sat at attention. Catch this. She was not manipulated by a controlling sister. She was content in Jesus. Got a controlling parent, controlling spouse, brother or sister, even children. Let me suggest that we have an advantage over Mary. We don't need to physically be in the presence of Jesus, you know, his body being here, to worship at his feet. It is why Jesus told the disciples it would be better for him to leave. Why? Because he's going to send the Holy Spirit who will reside in us, God in us. It's why he told the disciples, you're to worship in spirit and in truth. I am no longer going to be limited by location. I'll be in your space with the Holy Spirit in you. Worship in spirit, not worship in body. We can worship him anywhere and enjoy his presence 24-7. Worship is not confined to a church building. Rather, it's enjoying the presence of God, sitting at his feet anytime, anywhere. And so we offer to God our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. Worship now. Uh, I got to go teach a class. You worship while you're teaching. Enjoy his presence. Welcome his presence. I got my job. I got to go to my job. You worship. By the way, you worship in the car. You worship when you get there. Enjoy his presence. Welcome his presence. You sit at his feet. My uh, spouse and I, we got to have a really tough conversation. Oh, you better worship. Get your heart right, contentment, set where it needs to be. See, there's not a separation of worship and service, but an interconnection. In verse 39, Mary sat at his feet and she listened. I think that sitting and listening, it shows some submission, a willingness to be attentive and eagerness to learn. Martha offered to Jesus a clean house and perfect place settings. Mary offered to Jesus a gift of a submissive and attentive heart. Jesus is not condemning the work of dishes and place setting. He just puts it in perspective. I didn't even say balance. And Mary missed the point. And as a result, she experienced discontent. She 
She thought it was about the house, scurrying about, trying to get everything ready. By the way, why is it the last 30 minutes before anybody comes over to your, over to your house? It's a hurricane of activity to get everything ready. It is. I don't care how long you've been working on it before then. There's 20 details that haven't been attended to. She thought it was about the house. Rather, it was about the one person in the house. Like hungry eaglets, we have to have our mouths wide open, ready for the master to give us food. And the energy we need comes from him. I think sitting at the feet of Jesus also signifies love. Mary was sitting there at ease with Jesus because he loved her and she loved him. Each syllable Jesus spoke was like music to her soul. Just drinking it in. See, what we do with Christ impacts us in what we do for Christ. Martha was serving without worshiping and it made her self-conscious and judgmental and Mary served and worshiped and Jesus said she chose the good option. Martha was guilty in verse 40 it says of much service and in verse 41 Jesus says it is many things that have caused you to be anxious. So it wasn't just you know the house I mean, she, what, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? You know, she's the kind that they're going to have to shoot her brain when she dies to kill all the stuff that's going on in her head, okay? And the extent of her work was worthy of reproof from Jesus. And this imbalance created this intensity and overemphasis. And contentment was fleeting, We cannot work and live the Christian life so that Jesus will like us. We do not do the right things so Jesus will love us. He already does. Jesus does not condemn Martha for service. He points out, her kind of service as a distraction from more important things of what he calls a necessary thing. And that necessary thing was drinking from his fountain, worshiping him. And that's what filled Mary, that worship. Martha saw it as a waste of time because there's work that's got to be done. She lost balance. And notice that she criticizes her sister and tries to lay a guilt trip on Jesus. What an odd thing that when you're supposed to be serving Christ, it makes you discontent with Jesus and others. But that's what happens when our wires are crossed. We compare. Martha needed approval in her performance because Worship of Jesus was not enough. God help us when Jesus is not enough. Comparing herself with her sister was a self-managed way 
to derive her approval. And I think Martha gives us an insight into why legalism is so rife in the church, why faith communities evaluate spirituality on the wrong basis, got this gift, don't have this gift, do this, do that. See, in in Martha's book, Mary lagged way behind. If only Jesus would condemn Mary, then he could see Martha's stellar performance. Jesus, did you see those shiny utensils? Mwah! But a performance-based acceptance means we're not dealing with, you know, pesky heart issues like motivation, pride, independence, selfishness. When we realize that our acceptance is based on Christ and his provision, we give up trying to work for it and contentment is found. And some of us have these emotional entanglements with other people and we're trying to control it and we're saying, you know what? I just don't want them in our life. Can't have it. And maybe it's because we're trying to get approval from another person in our family. (laughs) How weird this works, right? But it's all about this performance-based acceptance. And where's Christ in this? How do we function as a Christian? What, What difference does that make in these relationships and in our families? It's not love. It's not patience. It's not grace. It's performance-based acceptance. When we realize our acceptance is based on Christ and his provision, we give up trying to work for it and contentment is found. You know what else? Your your bandwidth of grace is a lot greater because I realize, oh, my land. I am such a jerk. And God loves me. I mean, that's amazing. And I'm so appreciative. And we have to remind ourselves daily that our identity is in Christ and contentment is found in him. Here's some more evidence to build on this proposition that worship is integral to serving. Psalm 100, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. It's almost like it's, it's a couplet. Serving, singing, worship, serve. They're both instruments to please God. It's not either or. We serve with joy. I think worship helps us to center our affections upon him and not on ourself and our performance or the performance of others. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we serve by the the strength that God supplies. And when I serve and I'm done with it, I look back and I'm like, wow, God, you're the one that did that. You're the one that gave me the gift. You're the one that gave me the energy. And so I thank you for that. And that glorifies God. We give him credit. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully. 
with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. To fear God is to respect him, to see him for who he is. He's creator, sovereign God of the universe. He's worked throughout history on behalf of his people. I mean, he's done great things for us. I look back on the plagues in Egypt, and I realize, you know what? That's for me as well to benefit me to understand that God doesn't trifle with rebellion. When, when Jesus loved the woman at the well, we benefit too knowing that he met her at the point of her failures. He kindly ministers to her soul. And he does the same with us. And we're to give that to other people as well. His motivation to love and reward us becomes part of our motivation to serve him. Man, I want to serve with a a heart overflowing with appreciation. I want that to be my, my motivation of how good he is. God doesn't need me. He doesn't. I could die in 30 seconds. God will rise, raise up somebody else to pastor. He doesn't need me. He's God. <laughs> but he does. And I'm like, wow. Thank you. I want to try to enjoy this ride as much as I can and serve you as much as I can. But I'm no, you know, gift to pastoral ministry. Think of myself as some hot stuff. No. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. I don't want to be always wondering what God feels about me. Because he has made it abundantly clear. He is crazy about you. His son died on the cross for you. I got to tell you, I love you. But I can never imagine giving up one of my kids. I I can't fathom that. Jan and I can get ourselves in a tizzy when we hear of somebody maybe that goes through something with their kids or maybe loses a child. It's like, I, I, I can't even, I can't even put it in context. I mean, it just breaks us to think of that. But that's how crazy it's about you. Instead of God leaving us on his own, he's given us his spirit to indwell and empower us. Instead of wondering if we measure up, my identity is in Christ one of his children, I'm chosen and beloved by him. Instead of wondering if he notices, he promises to reward us for our service to him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And the reason God's children do not serve him wholeheartedly 
is because they do not sit at his feet and worship him and have their hearts filled. See, when when a church has a low rate of people serving, they do not ultimately have a problem with people managing their schedules or communication. People have a worship problem. You know, as an adult, I have shifted my need for fatherly approval to the Heavenly Father. And I know of specific moments when I have done this as an adult. And the more you do it, the more it becomes part of you. But there are some who are adults who've never done it. They've never done it. And you know why I know? Because you're kowtowed by a parent, jerked around. And you got 40-year-old, 50-year-old, 60-year-old men still acting like a nine-year-old wanting mommy's approval. That's not on the manipulative mom. That's on the adult male. Refuses to stand up to the parent. Can't say no. They don't want to lose that, whatever it is. It's like, that's the relationship you are afraid of having distance from, really? (laughs) That's not the kind of relationship I would even want. It's like, hey, mom, you want to do this to me? Sorry, we're not coming around for that. You either try operating a different way or, you know, we're going to have Christmas alone. Right? I'm just taking responsibility for my own heart, my own family. And some of you have to do the same and not allow the silent or critical person jerk you around. We still get irritated. We still have issues. I get it. That's just part of living on this earth, right? But I want to invite you today to sit at the feet of Jesus and relish in the fact that he is crazy about you. Rest your head on his shoulder. Bask in that for a minute. Allow his presence to fill you, his words to satisfy your soul. It's amazing when that happens. Once I have this with the father, I can love the critical parent, the critical spouse. I'm not taking my umbilical cord and trying to attach it somewhere else for food. Will you love me? No, the Lord's done that. It, what it, does, it frees us to love the unlovely. It frees us. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't boundaries. I get that. But it frees us. 
So I, I, I'm not being manipulated anymore, but I can still love. And I'm, I'm free. I've lived both kinds of lives. I've got to tell you, I'm really liking living right now. I'm really liking this Kevin than the one that was getting jerked around. That wasn't on my mom. It wasn't on my dad. It wasn't on all the people who hurt me. It was on me once I started taking responsibility for my own heart. 